Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Terrell Owen, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by RosterWatch.com. We are back after the holidays and we're shifting gears. We're getting into offseason talk, some dynasty talk, some rookie talk, some NFL draft stuff, some senior bowl. And there's no better way to kick it off than with the guest that we have today. One of the true greats, a guy that we've seen hustling at every offseason event that we've been at going back, Jesus, a decade He's now, uh, you can find him on Twitter at foot, FB Game Plan, uh, also at Football Game Plan, also now at CBS Sports HQ, covering the NFL, covering college football. His name is Emory Hunt. Emory, awesome to have you, brother. Great to see you. Great to hear your voice, man. Always a pleasure, man. Good seeing you as well. We normally see each other in Indy somewhere or at the, uh, at the Senior Bowl, uh, but now we're here virtually, but you know it's all 2020, so... <laughs> Good to see you, man. Yeah, man. Well, you know, you're you're up there in New York. I'm I'm down here in Texas, so it's it's a little bit shorter of a trip to Mobile for me. So I'm 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 thinking I'll be able to make it out there and just get get in the stands and stay the fuck away from everybody and uh, <laughs> right. and get there. Now, as far as as far as the combine, um, there's there's no way that they're going to let us pile into that convention center this year. Is like, are you are you holding out any slight hope that they might possibly allow it or even if they did allow, would you just say there's no way I'm doing it? Or I, I, I don't even think that they would. I don't even think there's going to be media. I think there's going to be a bunch of stuff like this where you can maybe talk to the prospects over Zoom or some weird deal like that. And here, here in 2020, you know what's interesting? I find myself almost at least once a day thinking back to man, we were really at the combine, you know, in bars and restaurants, close. Tight, all while shaking the, hands, yeah, shaking hands, all that stuff. It was like, man, I wonder if anybody got sick out there because <laughs> we literally was like a walking pack of people all week long in the cold, in the snow, and it was weird to like, man. But I, I, I agree with you. I, I do think the only way they could make the combine possible, and the players probably wouldn't even agree to do this, they would have to fly all the players out there a week before testing quarantine. Make sure they all come back negative and then, you know, have the events like they would this year. And I don't even think you can even bring the media there, considering how many people coming from all parts of the country. So I don't even they, if they have it, they would have to have it as players only. And like you said, do something like this for the media where you, you ask questions via Zoom. Um, but having both there 
I, I think that's highly – you can't. It's, it's just not set up for, you know, everybody to be back in there just so – just, uh, you know, for this year. You're packed in like sardines around the podiums. Everybody's like yelling these questions and projecting like <laughs> droplets, like it's just right next to one another. I, I, I don't think it, I don't think it, it's gonna it's gonna happen for us in the media this year. You've got to think for the prospects; they're going to find a way. They're they're they found a way to get everything else done. Whenever a lot of people thought that there wouldn't be a college season, there wouldn't be a pro season. Ever. I mean, we got our seasons. Um, I figured that the NFL man, these scouts, and you know better than anybody, Emory and. and uh, these these scouts and these evaluators, they want to see somebody run. They want to see everybody run their 40 on that same damn patch of turf right. on that same corner of Lucas Oil Stadium as they have for every other class. They need exact comps for these guys like they're going to find a way to make it work. It's just it's going to be a from what I've heard from talking to a few agents is maybe. And it falls in exactly what you said, maybe you've expanded out to two weeks. And if that was, I didn't really ask why, but it would make perfect sense with what you're saying for getting them there, maybe getting everybody tested, maybe having them be in smaller groups, you know, have mm-hmm. like spread the wide receivers out into four groups instead of two or something like that. So there aren't as many people around one another, but it's going to be different this year, but just like everything else is, we're going to, we're going to make it work and we'll, we'll get, we'll get through it. Um, Hey, uh, so uh, just all that stuff aside, like, let's just talk about some of these draft prospects. And I wanted to ask you first about Jamar Chase, who didn't play this year. Um, and it's it's a topic that's at the front of my mind because I, in one of my dynasty leagues, I just traded. Um, and this is a two quarterback league, uh, tight end premium um, type of setup. And I just... I, I lost this year Christian McCaffrey, Dak Prescott, and Joe Burrow. So I've, I've finished uh, second or third to either second or third to last. Uh, I, I, I haven't looked this morning to see how things ended up with final points. But basically, I made a trade for my first round pick for CeeDee Lamb and an upgraded tight end, getting me from Zach Ertz up to, a, or at least a younger tight end in Hunter Henry. And I traded that, traded that pick away for it. Um, what do you, how do after one season, obviously to hear how you compare a guy like CD lamb from what you've seen out of him and sort of the bird in hand that we know that he is to Jamar chase, where it's like, he looks awesome to me and he looks like he could be a future, just dominant NFL player. And I think, but, but I think he was very smart to look at this offense and say, uh, I might come back. If I come back, I'm not going to put up the same numbers. I might, I might lose some some draft stock because of it. How do you see that situation playing out? What do you think of Jamar Chase? And I, I just I would kind of like just to hear selfishly what you think about trading um, trading away a pick that could land me Jamar Chase for for CD Lamb in my in my dynasty league. You know I, I like CD Lamb. I think he is one that does a great job of scoring the ball. So you put the ball in his hands, he's looking to score, and he's going to find a way to try to get into the end zone. So you know you have that potential with Lamb. And he's only going to get better. So I probably wouldn't trade C.D. Lamb. As far as Jamar Chase is concerned, you know, there's a good mix of of a comp for him. You could look at Devontae Adams and see some Jamar Chase. You can look at uh, Tyler Boyd and see some Jamar Chase. I think what you're like about both players and why I use those two guys as a comp is the fact that you see a fluidity uh, within Jamar Chase's game. He's able to, to, you know, win off the line of scrimmage. He's able to stack and track a defensive back 
and shows a good fluidity to get in and out of his breaks and, and make catches over his shoulder. Um, awkward platform catches where he, you know, he's going to help out a quarterback. And he, like C.D. Lamb, just has a knack for getting into the end zone. So, you know, I could see the dilemma here, uh, but you always want to go with the for sure product, especially at that position. If they performed as a rookie, you know they're going to get even better in their second year because usually you're thinking, okay, year two, the wide receiver will, will make the impact in year three. But right now he's been solid as a rookie as far as Lamb is concerned, and he's going to get better next year. But Chase is going to be excellent, I believe, um, you know, as a rookie, just like Justin Jefferson was coming out from LSU. And, you know, Chase is one that, you know, he's a guy that has the uh, body control and the fluidity of a dude that's 5'10", but he's mm-hmm. like 6'1", I believe. So yeah. uh, I, I'm I'm a big fan of his game. Well, and just Emory, and I, I probably should have, whenever I, I should have introduced you better so people could understand the credentials that you have when you talk. Like, you're, you're like, you're a, you're, a, you're a really good evaluator. You work with these different, uh, I think you work with these different all-star bowls. I know you, we've talked about that before. Um, consult with different people. You call college games for major broadcast networks. You were, you played, where did you did you play semi pro football or did you play? Um, I know you played in college. College, college. okay, okay. Um, so you played you played running running back in college. You we you always have a really good eye for those guys. I, I, and I want to talk to you about running backs, but uh, beforehand, I just I, I want to talk about some of these receivers because you mentioned Justin Jefferson, and when we look at what he was able to do this year, so many of us in the draft community, I'm, I'm not saying you, but maybe even I fell into this bucket a little bit. It said, well, Justin Jefferson was a three-star athlete coming in. Um, of course, the combine really helped us out with his explosive measurables. We, we said, all right, well, so we can put this, uh, this stuff aside about whether or not this guy's explosive. But he he did play a lot out of the slot, and he did kind of seem like the beta to, to Jamar Chase um, in that in that, uh, in that that final season of 2019 with the Joe Brady offense there with Joe Burrow and everything else. Jamar Chase was the real splash play kind of, um, I don't want to say an alpha and a beta, but it's just, it seemed like Jamar Chase was, was kind of the number, the, just the number one, as far as just the athletic you know specimen and the dude who was just, you know, always going so big with these big touchdowns, like you said, the big athletic catches, the acrobatic, you know, body control to contort and, 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 and go get these things. Um, with the fact that Justin Jefferson has surpassed our expectation at every, every level so far, that that's the flip side of the coin with me. It's like, if I thought that Jamar Chase was more athletic and maybe even more impressive at the college level than Justin Jefferson, and now Jesus, I see what Justin Jefferson's done. Um, were you expecting this kind of year out of Justin Jefferson? And how do you, how do you, what do you think about this dilemma? Like, what, does, does that even does it even matter? But like, what, what do you think about all of that? Well, you could have two good receivers, you know, so you don't have to have one or the other. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. and when I, when we graded, uh, you know, Justin Jefferson at, at football game plan scouting, we had a eighty-one grade on him. So that that's like Pro Bowl and up, right? Uh, and we had him as our number three slot receiver. So we thought highly of him coming out based on what we saw on film um and what i liked about him was the fact that because he primarily played in the slot you know you can see you you know that he can do that at the pro level so anything outside of that was going to be a bonus because now you have a guy that can play multiple positions and you know this is something that receiver coaches always talk about now uh more so than when i played it was 
you know, everyone had a position, but now guys are being taught to the design of the play and it's almost like they're positionless. So, you know, here's the, here's the concept we're running. So therefore, if Jamar Chase is out for a play and they need Justin Jefferson to move over, you can't say, well, no, I only play in a slot. You know, now nah, you, you know the concept, you know the route, go out there and run the route. So uh, you're seeing that in Minnesota. You're seeing, you're seeing him just blossom. And Chase is going to be good in his own right because Chase is a really good receiver. Like I said, the fluidity, the, the ease in, in which he catches the football and the ability like C.D. Lamb to go and try to find the pylon and put the ball inside of it. So I just like the fact that he's just a really good uh, total receiver, someone that I would enjoy watching play football because it, it looks like uh, he played a lot of football growing up, just has those innate nuances yeah, of yeah. in the game that many people don't have. Do you, what, what about Jerry Judy? Well, he's just he's just dropping too many damn balls, man. Every time I turn it on and I, I'm watching a watching a Denver game, it's I can't tell. Like I don't. I've never been a. Uh, I've never been a huge Drew Lock guy. I don't know what you thought of Lock coming out, but um, it, but it's it, it's not all Lock's fault. I mean, he's 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 dropping some of these passes. That was part of his profile coming out. But I I was under the impression that maybe you know we've seen say a guy like Will Fuller who had some sort of drop issues uh, at the college level. It doesn't seem like he really has them as much anymore. Could you see the Jerry Judy maybe? I don't know, just figuring out a way to, you know, just get better with his hands. Because if you just watch the routes and you can even look and see how he gets graded out by PFF and Sports Info Solutions and these companies about how, you know, or the the, the next gen stats, just the the, uh, the 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 amount of separation he gets is terrific. Um, what have, have you watched Judy at all this year? And what do you think? Is it has it been disappointing to you? Were you expecting that? Have you even seen that or like, what do you think about Judy so far? Yeah. You know, and it's, it's tough for a receiver because, you know, we all saw, let's say just the last game against the chargers where that one deep shot was a chance for him to really put them position, put them in position to perhaps win that game um, or at least tie it. And he dropped the football at first looked like it was just a great defensive play, but when he went to the replay, like, wow, he had both hands on it. Um, And again, I I'm old enough to know, and you, you know, we're probably the same age. So you've seen receivers go through this, you know, Jerry Rice had this as a rookie where he dropped a lot of passes. And I'm not saying Jerry Judy is Jerry Rice, but <laughs> we've seen, yeah. you know, receivers that are talented. We know Jerry Judy can play ball. Right. And so him dropping passes, you know, eventually he's going to overcome that. You know, and we saw we see it with, you know, we saw it like with a guy like Julio Jones. And again, I'm not saying Jerry Judas, Julio Jones, but we've seen Julio Jones overcome the T.O. like drops. And we saw T.O. overcome those T.O. like drops. Right, so right. For, for good receivers, it happens. You just, you know, we just live in a social media, you know, time where every mistake you make is going to be magnified and critiqued 17 different ways from Sunday. So, I'm not worried about Jerry Judy, you know, and, you know, because he's getting open. So when you get open and you're able to get open quickly, you're going to always get targets. Um, and so he's just going to have to start, you know, zeroing and focusing and, and really start to make those receptions and, and avoid those drops. He's still a very fantastic football player and prospect. Boy, is it true what you say about that damn, that damn Twitter invention is just. <laughs> Um, all right, but all right, a couple couple running back things. Um, just uh, what about the 2021 class? It feels like in the dynasty community and in the Debbie sort of space, like the the people that play in the developmental leagues where they draft NCAA players to their 
taxi squads and stuff. It feels like a consensus has sort of come to um, come to fruition, I guess, that the top two are probably Najee Harris and Travis Etienne this year. Do, do you what do you think about that? Do you agree with that consensus? And are there other guys that you look at and you say, damn, man, like like this is a dude. You know what I like about the, the running back position and, you know, coming into the season, you had like a bunch of names. But you like you say, you really had uh, people honed in on Chuba Hubbard, Chuba. Na- Najee Harris and also uh, Travis Etienne. Maybe Najee Harris was third in that pecking order. But, you know, Harris showed that he can be a, an every down back, a three down player um, because of his ability as a receiver, a downfield threat as a receiver, not just your standard swing screens flares and flats type you know as expectations uh type receiver he's a guy that you could literally put in a passing game uh and same with Etienne I think that's an area where he grew this year as a receiver uh, we knew he had the explosive speed to take it a distance but now you're seeing him grow in a passing game being more of a, a downfield threat and so I think those two guys are are separating themselves but there's a bunch of other backs that you can get that can be starters in the league that can be you know you know, really good player. I'm a big fan of Michael Carter out of North Carolina. You know, one thing everyone talks about his teammate, but what they failed to mention about Carter is that Carter's doing the same thing at a more explosive rate, higher yards per carry, and does a fantastic job of making defenders miss. So it's hard to take on contact when defenders can't touch you. And that's something that Carter does exceptionally well. Um, so I'm excited to see him get out there and compete down at the senior bowl. He's tremendous in that regard. Reminds me a lot of Daryl Henderson um, with the Rams and, and how he runs and able to string moves together and make guys miss and, and show the explosiveness. So I think Carter's a sleeper that not sleeper. Cause he's at, at a power five school and everybody knows about him. He's going to the senior bowl, but Khalil Herbert was somebody last year that, you know, I was at uh Boston college in Kansas game, you know, so I was up there at Chestnut Hill scouting, you know the, the the two prospects and you know obviously i was looking at aj Dillon, and obviously kansas had uh adenajay who's with the Bengals, and they also mm-hmm. had a really good defensive lineman and darius uh meringue who uh ended up going to the tropical bowl you know 6'6 295 um and puka williams was standing out but herbert was mm-hmm. standing out too i was like man my goodness this dude is the backup uh or the co-pilot at the position and he's phenomenal. He killed Boston College that night, and it was a big reason why they upset Boston College. And so I, I wrote down in my notes, and it's on my website, it's like, you know, he's one of those rare Power Five sleepers because it's hard to be a sleeper at a major program, right? But he was the backup, and I could see him being the starter in the NFL. So I was excited to talk about him throughout the whole draft process, and then he decides to grad transfer to Virginia Tech. I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's you know, cool because he can go and be the starter, and lo and behold, he goes on there and goes also. Now everyone knows who Khalil Herbert is. And you're seeing everything. You saw everything this year with the Hokies that I saw up at Boston College that one night. And so now you're seeing another guy that no one is talking about as far as these upper echelon of backs. But Carter and Herbert, you know, even Puka Williams, those are guys that you can see have a huge impact as a rookie and may not be the one you draft really high, you know. Do you, do you do you like Carter more? Do you like Carter more than um? Uh, what's the other, Williams? Do you do you like him? Do you like Carter more? Yeah, I like Carter more because Carter has the elusiveness. Listen, if you if you can't, um, and this is something you learn as a running back, you know, 
you, I remember, I remember uh, when I was getting recruited, and you know, I had my my high, highlight tape. You know, all uh, was yeah. it? Was this? Was this pre pre huddle? You did, did you have to send out an actual tape? Yeah, okay. I used to drive <laughs> my parents crazy. I had like, um, I was, I had, you know, used to get in bulk those VHS tapes. Then go to the post office and had to, you know, you have like seventy five stamps oh, on the package that you had yeah. to mail off, right? <laughs> so I remember, uh, you know, sitting down with a coach at a at a school, and you know, at a university, and I, I put, gave him a highlight tape. We're talking, and the first highlight I put it on there, you know, I, the reason why I put this highlight first because I thought it showed like physical, physical, physicality and toughness. It was me just blowing through a hole, and it was just me and the safety, right? And I just lowered the shoulder and just like boom, truck, trucked him, right? Mm-hmm. But then I ended up falling down and then you know it was maybe like a 25-yard gain, right? So I'm all excited because he's gonna see like, oh, this this dude run with some power. Right. He paused it and he was like, Yo, I need you to make him miss. I was, I, it threw, it blew my mind. I was like, he said, You had a two-way go, you could have scored, but you decided to run him over. And I was like, well, you know, it was the first quarter of the game I wanted to set a tone. He was like, yeah, but see, I need you to make him miss. I was like, whoa, made me think. And that stuck with me from that point to now. So I said all that to say when you're a guy like Williams, Williams takes on too much contact. He's tremendous. But at the NFL level, you have to be able to evade defenders. And you look at a guy like Carter, given the same opportunities as Williams, does a better job of not getting touched and making guys miss. So when you have the ability to make a defender miss, you're going to last a lot longer in the NFL because you're not going to take that contact. You you minimize your opportunities of or your chances of getting hurt. Um, and, you know, as cool as it is in high school um, and in some stages of college to, to run through defenders, you don't want to keep running into people, man, because at the end of the day, you know, these are NFL athletes. Yeah, you can run through somebody that, that will never touch a football field ever again and that's it looks great on tape but when you matched up against dudes that are just as good as you and strong if not stronger you don't want to be running into people man you want to make that guy miss and try to get to the end zone well whenever you said that you talk about that dichotomy like in I don't know why it did but it just reminds me of Memphis lately and all these guys that have been the kind of the between the tackles runners that we've had come out of there that we've evaluated that have had better production if you just look at the market share uh, stuff from you know even the touchdowns the touches and stuff like the, you know you wonder it's like well, why why is a guy like Tony Pollard or like Daryl Henderson or um, Antonio Gibson why are these guys kind of backups that don't touch it as much um, and you just but you look at the film and you're like well they're but look at look how much more elusive they are look at so you you look at the traits man and like I can't even name some of those dudes that you know were the leading touch guys for those those Memphis teams while those guys were there. Whereas all three of the guys that I just mentioned are, you know, are, are like making an impact today in, in, in the NFL for that exact same reason. Um, do you think that uh, do you I mean, as far as anybody um, is I, I know I didn't ask you about this before, but I was just wondering if you thought, do, do you what do you think happened with Shuba Hubbard? Are you do you, um, I feel like it was a mistake for him to come back this year. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, uh, like, did you, I'm not exactly sure why he might not have looked as good or why he might not have played as good if an injury could have played into it or anything like that. Um, did you notice anything different about him this year? Because if we just look at it from just the amount of steam that he's getting from the draft community, what it seems like people are saying from behind the scenes, 
he would have probably been better off coming out last year based on that season. Do you agree with that? And what did you see out of Hubbard this season? You know, it's interesting because I think what we see out of Hubbard, and this was in my notes preseason going into this year uh, when studying his game, because, again, everybody talks running backs. And I was like, all right, when when I hear a lot of talk about a guy, I kind of want to take a look at it because I want to make sure – because, you know, people get wild by highlights, right? And, and we'll, yeah. we'll people do it again um, this weekend. You know, everybody is crapping on Justin Fields, but he goes out there and makes a couple plays. Next thing you know, everybody's going to move him over Zach Wilson, just as if they didn't spend all last week talking about Zach Wilson being the next Joe Montana. <laughs> it's true. That, yeah. I mean, it all depends on which game you watch it at the time, right? So uh, when I heard a lot of people talk about Hubbard, and and here's the, here's the knock I had on Hubbard. I, I saw this with a guy, um, and this was funny because you know me and my one of my homies, who's uh, who's a standout tailback himself. You know he's big in the high school recruiting, right? And he handles our high school uh, recruiting scouting stuff at uh, the Football Game Plan Four Hundred. So that's at footballgameplan400.com, right? Okay. And so so he does a good job of scouting the high school talent, right? And so this was maybe. I think maybe almost like a decade ago now, uh, if it may be so. So he was like, like, yo, check this guy out and let me know what you think and hit me back. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I watched the, I watched the kids tape. Then I hit him back and I was like, man, why is he, I mean, he's running through gaping holes and, um, like he's not getting touched. And, you know, and he was like, I know. And they say he's number one back in the country. I was like, man, I don't see it. I, I see him like, you know, having free access to the second and third level. And, you know, he's a better athlete than everybody. And he's just running. And I was like, I know. He said, yeah, that's that's why I said, I want to know I, I'm not tripping. And the guy we were talking about was, uh, and, and so he showed me another another tape of another guy that was coming in. I was like, you know, this dude better than this guy. And he was like, you see it. I was like, yeah, yeah, this dude way better. And so that guy where those two guys talk about uh, were Jonathan Gray and Malcolm Brown. And so, <laughs> yeah, I, I know both. I know both those dudes very, very, very well. Exactly right. And so we were like, I was like, man, you know this dude, Gray. They're saying the best running back since Earl Campbell. I'm like, goodness, like he's running through so many open lanes. Mm-hmm. And when I watched Chuba Hubbard, be, and we and we talked about this philosophically, um, you know, we played in traditional I formation offenses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so where your vision you had to have the vision to get to, to the open lane. Cause if it was 34 dive and the four hole was closed, you got to figure out how to have success. But in today's game with the spread offense, the wide hash marks and spreading the field. And you know, these old linemen have wide splits. It widens out the defense. It's there for you. And we were just saying like, man, we ran behind in this offensive scheme. We probably would have had 5,000 yards in the season. Um, and so watching these guys run through this, you really have to, you know, it, it, it takes a, a trained eye to see what is a given and what is something that was earned. And for Chuba Hubbard, when it was cloudy, talking about the gaps in, in the holes, um, he struggled to create. When it was there, he's a sprinter. He's going to hit it and go. And so, you know, so all we were, we were infatuated by the long runs, but not about the process of how those long runs happened. And when you watch, you know, a guy that can create pre-line of scrimmage when things are shut off from him, um, that's the runner you want because you're going to have to be able to be your own blocker, so to speak, 
uh, be your own gap, so to speak, as a runner at the pro level. And if you can't create, you're more of a complimentary guy than you are a feature guy. And I think that's where Chuba right now is, is he's more of a, of a complimentary guy. You know, he's more of a guy that you can say, all right, he's, he's like a Tony Pollard to Ezekiel Elliott. And that's not, that's not a knock. That's mm-hmm. where he's probably best suited to play. Um, and, and in terms of pairing him up with someone, maybe a good fit for him would be in Chicago you know, maybe you could pair him up with a Tariq Cohen and also a David Montgomery, or you find a place like uh, New Orleans where you could pair him up with a Alvin Kamara and have the best of both worlds. So you really have to find somewhere a good fit for Chuba because right now he's going to have to work to work. He's going to have to work to develop that vision that you need at the pro at the pro level. Sounds to me like a kind of maybe like a carry on Johnson role, like with their like how he has there, where it seems like they always just want him to be the third guy, the third guy um, there when in Detroit. Who knows how the new um, who knows how the new regime will feel about him? But I, I do remember through carry on's process, he always said it's crazy, man. Some of these guys, and with Jay Gray, I think uh, some of that we can put, we can put on the Achilles. That that really sapped him a little bit. I forgot if that was his junior or senior year, but I mean. I, I'm I, I, I like I watched both. We were both watching that film at the exact same time. And I was coming to the same conclusions that you were even way back, even way back then before I even knew you. So um, definitely agree there. But uh, but with carry on, it's like I think some of these guys have mentalities, too. That they, that, like carry on always said, like, I, you know, I even asked him, you know, like, how do you feel about being a feature back and stuff? And he's like, well, you know, in the NFL today, you know, that you need to split up snaps and you need to you know, stay healthy and all that. Like even from the very beginning, he hasn't really had that mentality that he's going to be the big feature back. That's going to get all the touches and stuff. So I think some of it's, but do you think some of that's personality too? Is that personality stuff? It, it, right. It, Cause it could be because you, uh, I mean, that's how these guys are coming up, you know, gone are the days where, you know, you're the starter, you're the backup. Uh, you only, we're going to give you three series. You're going to get one. And then we're going to go mm-hmm. three and one, three and one. Um, nowadays, these guys come up through the ranks splitting. splitting it feels down. like it, right? It, yeah, it, so it really they're used to it. This is yeah. their this is their normal. So mm-hmm. um, they don't. It's not like they don't want to carry the load. Everybody wants to take, carry the football. So that they are conditioned to to be complimentary guys or share the load. You know, you look at a guy like you know who does a great job and in, in working both backs, and they and they get tremendous production. Indianapolis, where you have Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. That's mm-hmm. a perfect example of today's NFL, you know, as far as what you get out the backs. Or you could have a situation like Cleveland, where both backs are going to, you know, should have gone over a thousand yards if it wasn't for this last game. But that's a situation where you have two number ones that could easily carry the load by themselves, but but also work well in tandems. All right. Before I get you out of here, brother, I, I, I know we're up against it. And as always, Love to have you on and appreciate you taking a little bit of time. You can find him on Twitter again at FB Game Plan. He is Emory Hunt. Um, just a, just a couple quick Senior Bowl things because I, I titled this, you know, Senior Bowl stuff. So just any of these guys who you're excited to, you know, you already mentioned Carter, but just at the running back or wide receiver position, are there any of these guys that you're excited to see, you're excited to follow about, you know, follow through the process and that you um, – that you think people are going to come out of that weekend mobile imp- impressed with Dwayne Eskridge. You know, I did the okay. broadcast with Mama. West, what's he? What the wide receiver from I believe Western Michigan. Western, Michigan. Western yeah. Michigan. Yep, I did the Mammoth Western Michigan broadcast last year, 
and up at there, up there at uh, you know Kalamazoo. And so this is last year he was a he was the starting cornerback, and you know he had played receiver the year before before they moved him to cornerback, take advantage of his athleticism and speed. And this year he moved back to wide receiver. But mm-hmm. last year I was like, man, this dude has next level type acceleration. It's ridiculous. Like I could see why they want him at uh, receiver, but also corner where if you're playing him in zone, his plant and drive on a football is going to be nuts. It's almost how like uh, Dante Jackson was at LSU. Just, you saw like ridiculous level of speed. This dude actually had legit ball skills. So seeing him back on the receiver side, I was excited to see how he was going to, you know, get reacclimated. And man, this dude averaged like 20 something, maybe 25 yards a catch uh, this season throughout the course of the season was he had maybe three to four, 200 yard games. It was ridiculous the amount of production he had. And so he is a elite explosive talent. Um Someone that you could see fitting in right away as a touchdown maker, as a deep threat. You talk about your Jalen Waddles and your Devonta Smiths. Um, don't forget about Dwayne Eskridge. I, I think he is one that people need to, to spend more time in talking about because he is so dynamic and explosive with the ball in his hands. And when you're that explosive, you know, your speed changes how people defend you. It changes how people are going to cover you. And, you know, you have someone with that level of speed opens things up for everybody else on your offense. about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.